just a little something I put together earlier today. Yeah. I'm not going to have that much groove in me if I live to a thousand, right? That's Jimmy Needham. If you don't know about him, you got to check him out. He's got spoken word on YouTube. He's got some uh, albums that, that he's made, and uh, they're just, he's awesome. He's awesome. I just discovered him just a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, Vanessa heard this, and, uh, and then I uh, found it on YouTube. I was like, we have got to see this, because this is what our series that we've been in this entire year is all about is that God is telling a story and you have a part that you're supposed to play in it. And the question is, what part are you playing? Are you on the villain side of the story or are you on the Jesus side of the story? Are you on the part of the side of the story that's working against him or are you on the side of the story that's working for him? Because we're either all an enemy of God or, or we're advancing his kingdom. There's no neutrality. There's no middle ground. We're either all the way in or we're all the way out. And this, this series that we've been in, Let's Praxis, the letspraxis.com is a website that's dedicated to what we believe about discipleship. So we're just throwing it up here. We've been throwing it up there all year for you to go and check it out. It's more than what we can just cover to get you up to speed. So you've got to go do your part to do some homework, to do some reading, to learn about what we've been talking about all year. But you have a part to play as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this discipleship model that we believe in and practice and teach here is to help you be in the part of the story that God created you to be. It's so that God can build in you so that you can build in his kingdom. It, you know, as, as David was sharing, Pastor David was sharing that wrap-up, just before we get into the message, a couple of things I want to share. I just, I, I had such a sense that there's some people here and you couldn't find the word that God was trying to speak over you. I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes for a minute. If you're here and you were struggling to find the word that God was speaking over you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Just lift it up. I see some hands. Come on, just keep it up there for a minute. Just keep it up there. Yeah. It's powerful. Father, I pray for these hands that are up right now. Whether it's, whether it's right now, during the rest of this service, or maybe it's in that quiet moment right before they drift off into sleep tonight. Maybe it's going to be in the stillness of tomorrow morning when they first discover that they're awake. That you're going to drop a word into their heart that's going to help them know that they are so loved by the creator of the universe. And that you so have a place in this story that you've been writing from the beginning of time just for them. I have such a sense, and I had it during worship, that there's somebody here, and the word that God wants to give to you is sobriety, that you've been struggling with addiction, that you've been letting addiction define you, you've been making excuses for the destructive lifestyle that you've been exploring and are about ready to jump into, and God says, no, 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 I created you to be an example of sobriety in this world to give hope to other people, to give hope to other people who are broken, to give hope to other people who think that it's impossible for me to break free and you're gonna be able to say, no, I know exactly how it is and they're gonna say, no, you don't and then you're gonna tell your story and then they're gonna say, okay, yes, you do and they're gonna find the hope that they need. I have such a sense that there's somebody here tonight and the word that God is speaking over you is chosen. He picked you. Your whole life you've never been picked. 
not on the elementary school when people were choosing teams. You didn't get to go to the college of your first choosing. You didn't get to play the sports that you wanted. Your name was always on the cut list. Or if it was one of those sports where they didn't cut, you never got to play. And God speaks over you tonight and he says, I've chosen you. You're my first pick. There's something that you're supposed to do in this world that nobody else can, and I made you to do it. And don't let your life experience define you and to create a sense in you that there's nothing for you because I have something. And everything that has been a no to you, it's so that you would not be distracted from your true calling. I have such a sense tonight that somebody here and your word is celebrated, celebrated. You grew up in a home where you didn't do birthdays. Every time it came around, you were hoping for a card and a present and nothing ever came, not a cake, not a candle, not a party, not a song, and you've lived your life feeling like nobody cares, nobody knows, and what I'm saying to you tonight is that all of heaven is an uproar of celebration and singing over your life. All of heaven sees you, all of heaven knows you and celebrates who you are. You're celebrated. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, amen. Twelve pathways we teach here that's a part of our discipleship model, scripture, prayer, worship, fasting, the Christian F word, accountability, relationship, gathering, reaching, stewardship, generosity, rest, and service. We're going to be talking about two of these pathways all the way at least up until Thanksgiving, if not a little bit farther. I think in December for Christmas we're going to do a series on the supernatural since it's a time of gift giving. Let's talk about some of the supernatural gifts that God wants to give to you and to me. Generosity, this is out of our Praxis booklet. If you're visiting with us tonight, you can see somebody in a blue shirt. They'll give you one of these for free, but this breaks down. This in conjunction with the website, letspraxis.com, that you'll be able to catch up to where we are and what we're doing for discipleship. Stewardship is being a good manager. These are definitions right in the back. A good manager of all that God has entrusted to us. The verse we have here, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Stewardship is about living under the revelation that you own nothing. I don't care if the bank put your name on it. I don't care if the title has your name on it. I don't care if your cards have your name on it, right, that's attached to something else that you think belongs to you. Everything that we have belongs to God. It's been given to you to take care of it in a way that he wants you to take care of it and to consume it in a manner that he wants you to consume it. Generosity is having a heart to give freely and to offer help to others. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Generosity is different from stewardship in the sense that Generosity is about how much of what God has entrusted to you are you supposed to give away, and he's the one that gets to tell you how to do it. Matthew 6, 19 reads this way. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Store 
your treasures in heaven. My treasures in heaven are dependent upon my stewardship of the possessions that God has entrusted to me and my generosity with giving a portion of those possessions away. Let me say it again. My treasures in heaven are dependent. God says there's going to be treasures in heaven. you got to decide, are you storing them up here or are you storing them up there? And what we want to do in this series is help you understand that the treasures that are waiting for you in heaven are dependent upon your stewardship of the possessions God has entrusted to you and your generosity with giving a portion of those possessions away. Father, as we dig into this series, Treasures in Heaven, God, I pray that there would be a shift in the balance between what we're storing up here and what we're storing up there. You're going to find us faithful in our consumption. You're going to find us even more faithful in what we give away. We want the pile there to be bigger than the pile that's here. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, as we were at the men's getaway this weekend, as we were worshiping this morning, Pastor Justin was leading us in worship. I felt like God began to speak some things to my heart. This little piece is not going to be in the notes. You know, every week we put the notes online for you as a PDF document. If you're a note taker, if we move faster than what you would prefer, you can always download the notes. So this little piece right here is not going to be in the notes uh, as you download them. So you can make reference of, of this if you're interested. It's in uh, Matthew 15:32. Matthew 15:32. It says, then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. Now the disciples replied, where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Now you might be familiar with the story, but it's not the story that you think it is. Jesus asked, how much bread do we have? They replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and he thanked God for them. He broke them into pieces. He gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. You know there were some teenagers in there, and just one of them could have taken down just what they had to start with all by themselves. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets, seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000, not five, four, who were fed that day in addition to all the women and the children. The feeding of the 5,000, it happened some time ago in Jesus' ministry, and, and these disciples that were with him now were with him then. And they're still thinking, I don't know how, I don't know how to do it. We don't, we don't have enough food. We got some gluten-free bread. That's it. People didn't even like that. They eat this because they have to. Right? I mean, they're, they're, they're looking at Jesus, and you know what Jesus is doing. Are you, where, are you kidding? Where were you? When we, when we fed over five, we fed more people with less last time. As we were worshiping this morning, I felt like God was challenging me, so I'm preaching to myself. This is our problem. We're human beings with a human mind in a natural world. And we're weighed down with this idea of the finite and the fixed. We look at things 
And we say, it's not enough. Because we see finite and fixed. Jesus doesn't see finite and fixed. He sees waiting. Because everything that is finite and fixed is just waiting for God to come and make it more. And he doesn't have to add anything else to it except his presence. And when he adds his his presence to something that's finite and fixed, it can become something more than we could ever imagine. It can even be an event of multiplication or it can be a moment of transformation like the water to wine. So much of Jesus' ministry was trying to help us to understand that finite and fixed is a principle of this natural world, but in the kingdom, everything that's finite and fixed is just waiting. It's just waiting for God to come and add his presence. So you and I, we struggle with stewardship and generosity. You know why we struggle with stewardship and generosity? Because we struggle with the concepts of finite and fixed. We look at what God in his word wants us to do with our stuff and we say, I can't do it because it's not enough. And the reason why it's not enough is because we see it as finite and fixed and God says, you gotta stop looking at it that way. When we get a hold of the revelation of this idea that everything that is finite and fixed is just waiting to become something more, and typically what it's waiting for is for us to act in obedience. The feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000, the multiplication did not start until the disciples began to hand out that food. He didn't multiply it first. He didn't take the little pile and make it a big pile so they could say, oh, okay, we got enough now. They had to walk up to the crowd with just a few crumbs and start handing it out. This series that we're going to be in, you've got to be willing to say, okay, God, I know that in my natural mind, with my natural eyes and my human brain in this natural world, it's hard for me to see beyond finite and fixed. I want you to make a shift in me. So that I see everything that's finite and fixed, not as finite and fixed anymore. I see it as waiting. And I see it as waiting for you to come and make it more than it is by adding nothing more to it than just your presence. And when you ask me to consume in a different way in stewardship, when you ask me to manage in a different way in my stewardship, and then as part of that stewardship, when you ask me to step into moments of generosity and give some of your stuff away because it's not ours to begin with, then I'm not going to pause and hesitate because I'm stuck in finite and fixed. I'm going to move in obedience because I believe that it's just waiting to be made more or to be made different and that you're going to find me faithful. 16 of 38 parables of Christ. I read read this list of statistics at least once every year. 16 of 38 parables of Christ deal with money. Yeah? One out of every 12 verses in the New Testament addresses money or material possession. According to Christianity today, the Bible has 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 on faith, and over 2,000 on money and possessions. Why is that? Because God understands that in this natural, physical world with a human mind, with an inclination towards 
the human experience and natural limitations. We struggle with finite and fixed. And from Genesis to Revelation, God is saying the same thing to us. you got to get this right. Because if you do not get it right, then we will not be the stewards that we're supposed to be. We will not act in the generosity that we're supposed to move in. And not only does it affect us here and now, the Bible says it affects the treasures that we're storing in heaven. I don't do it because there's treasures waiting for me there. I do it to please my Father. And he does it to us. He gives us these promises not to manipulate us, not to goad us in certain kinds of behavior, but he just cannot help to reveal how perfect and loving he is. And so even though he's not required to, even though he he doesn't have to, he gives us these incentives. Let's say you live to 120. Let's just be generous and say 220. Let's just get crazy. Say 221. Well, how long is that to enjoy some material possessions here? Because when you go, they stay. But when I get here, the treasure's in heaven. We get to enjoy them for an eternity. So I'm asking you, which pile do you want to be bigger? The pile that you get to play with for a little while or the pile that you get to play with for an amount of time that's beyond human comprehension. It's interesting, right? We choose the finite over the infinite. And God says, you gotta stop doing that. It's robbing you of your destiny and it's robbing you of your eternity. I'm gonna start into, I don't know if we'll get through all four of them, but these are four heart questions. I teach them at least once every year. These are the four heart questions I ask myself. These are the four heart questions I've been asking myself for years as a devoted follower of Christ. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So you're walking through them all. There's mirrors. How many of you stop to look at yourself? I do, right? Come on, raise your hands. Bunch of liars in here. Bunch of liars. More vain than you want to admit. Walking through your house, there's a mirror, you stop, right? And keep going, right? We, we want to know what we look like. Is there, is there anything that I don't see that I need to know that other people's, right? We, we, the, mirrors are everywhere. Why? Because we like to look in them. This book right here, you know why we don't like to look in there? Because it's a mirror. And it enables you to see the part of you that's unseen. James talks about it. So many of the other parts of the Bible talks about it. We've got to come to this book to see on the inside. To actually see the part that God sees first. And to see the part that really matters. And these questions that we're going to work through, we're going to get into them tonight. And we're going to pick up with them next week. These questions are ways for you to look inside yourself when it comes to stewardship and generosity and to see what you might find. Anybody here have a gag reflex? Who are my gag reflex people? Okay, what, 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 what launches it for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the doctor's office, they, they make them extra big and extra long just because. Yeah. Somebody else. Who else? Gag reflex. What does it? Brushing your teeth, right? The toothbrush gets a little bit far back over the toilet like my grandfather. 
Man church inside joke. If you weren't there, I hope you're sleeping on the couch. All right, Sharon. Fluoride toothpaste? Oh, fluoride treatment. Oh, yeah. Dentist's office, they specialize in making you gag, right? Somebody else, what's something that kicks in your gag reflex? Yeah, the teeth molds that they do at the dentist, or the thing they put in there to make your mouth stay open. Where's Jerry Whistler? He's a dentist. We have some. we want to talk to you, right? He's not here. Poor Jerry. Somebody else, what's something that kicks, makes your gag reflex kick in, Scotty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She said watching or hearing somebody else throw up. Okay, play that soundtrack. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Somebody else? No food stuff? Nobody's going to mention food? Spoiled milk. Tara? Mayonnaise. Any kind of mayonnaise? Hellman's? You can't, you can't go to church here. Green bean casserole. Stop. What state were you born in? Okay, all right, see, that's why. If you were going to say Virginia, I was like, somebody lied to you. Because if you're from Virginia, you love yourself some green bean casserole. All right, Japan. Anybody else? Any food stuff over here? Pudding? Pudding. Any kind of pudding. Any, the tex, is it the texture? It's a te- Okay, good, good, good. All right. Texture. Because I love pudding. Yeah. Anybody, who else loves pudding in here? Who else thinks Paige is weird because she doesn't like pudding? All right, that's good. <laughs> Egg noodles. All right, I can go with you there a little bit. You just got to get the right sauce on them. But they're a little slippery if they're playing, right? I know, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Luke 16, 13 to 15. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and you will love the other. You'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and they scoffed at him. And then he said to them, listen to what Jesus, this is Jesus talking. You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your heart. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. You know what that word detestable means in the Greek? It means gag reflex. It means something that is so disgusting and so gross, like pudding and mayonnaise and egg noodles, right? (laughs) Whatever causes your gag reflex to kick in, God is saying, oh, I understand about gag reflexes, because I have one. This is what Jesus is saying. We have a gag reflex, and it doesn't have to do with food. It doesn't have to do with smell. It doesn't have to do with texture. It doesn't have to do with seeing or listening. It has to do with him knowing that our heart struggles with materialism. And God says, he says of himself, it makes me want to throw up. Strong words, right? Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything In it, the world and all its people belong to him. This first question that we're talking about is, am I submitted? That word in and of itself gives some of us a gag reflex. Am I submitted? Not talking about unhealthy unhealthy relationships and people being able to demand things. But that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about being submitted to the belief and the reality that everything that we have belongs to God. Am I submitted to the belief that he 
owns everything. First Chronicles 29, 10 through 13. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God, our ancestor of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. You rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Submitted. Submitted to the belief and the reality that David, as, as successful as he was at the point that this was written, as, as, as accomplished that he had been, Israel at the, one of the heights of its moments of glory in history, they had a few. David was at the peak of one of them, and David says, all of this is yours, and all of it is because of you. Am I submitted? Am I submitted when it comes to laying down my material life? Am I submitted when it comes to laying down my material life? Question number two, am I cheerful? See, these four questions, they come in pairs because they hold each other in a healthy tension. God says to you and to me, be submitted to the belief and the reality that all that you have belongs to me. I get to tell you how to use it and how much of it you're supposed to give away. Don't get over fixated on the idea that it's a fixed, what you have is fixed, what, what you have is finite. It's, no, it's not. It's just waiting. It's waiting for me to come and to make it more or to make it different, and, and it's going to require you to take a step of faith. And, and when, when we begin to be submitted to this idea of stewardship, it helps us to be submitted to this idea of generosity. But the kind of submission that he's looking for is not the kind of submission that we do begrudgingly. It's not the kind of submission that we do because we're afraid of the consequences. It's not the kind of submission that we do because we feel like it's going to have a negative effect on the treasures that are in heaven. That can't be our primary motivation. God cares about the intent of the heart. Just like with your children. If you're parenting them well, you're not just looking for them to obey you're looking for them to obey with the desire for virtue. You're looking for them to submit because they trust you. You're looking for them to submit and inside of their heart, they're glad to do it even when they don't understand it because they know that you have their best interest at heart. And when we believe that God has our best interest at heart, like what we just came out of in talking about the Lord's Prayer for several weeks and we trust the portion, when he asks us to manage it in a certain way or to give away a part of it, we're not just doing it because, all right, I'm just going to have to be submitted to God. i got to follow the rules. Something inside of us stirs with excitement and enthusiasm because we have the privilege of walking in obedience to the one who created it all. One of my new favorite commercials is the uh, DirecTV versus cable commercial. Have you seen that? It starts with the guy in the attic and he bumps his head on the rafter. Have you seen that? Then it goes to the, right, there's the lady that, that uh, she's looking at the envelope and gets a paper cut on her tongue. Can we just pause there for a moment? That's right. Paper cut on your tongue. It's painful. 
And she does it and then li- and giggles, it's, right? It's, it's, it's the best. There's the guy that, that wakes up, he's been camping, and, 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 he, and, he, and he sits up out of a, a big bed of poison ivy just going, oh, it's been a great night, right? <laughs> then at the end, there's the guy who's got his arm stuck in the vending machine. He's like, woohoo, right? And they're showing the most ridiculous, there's a new one that's on the radio. I don't know if it's on the TV yet. They've got another whole list. And one of them is about getting popped with a towel when you're in middle school in the locker room, right? They're, they're coming up with every just experience in life that people go, who would want that? For some of us, we view being submitted to God with our material resources and the portions that he wants to give away, we look at it and think to ourselves, it's on the list of all of those things. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna suffer through it because he's gonna make me, he might bring me home if I don't. And God says, this is what I think he says. I think he says if, if that's how you're going to look at it, I would rather you not do it at all. I would rather you not do it at all. Because he doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need our little pile. And he can just as easily get rid of the even smaller pile that's waiting for us there. What, what he's looking for is our heart. Now, I might have to start out of obedience because of the principle in the Bible of see, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, which is the idea that right feelings follow right actions. So you might have to start in a place of doing it because you have to. This is part of parenting too. But if we do it because we have to with the right heart and the right mindset, eventually the feelings will come. I start with I am submitted so I can get to the place where I am cheerful. But I am cheerful. Has, you got to get there. I can't just stay in obligation forever. He says, be submitted to me, but let your heart get to a place where you're glad. And part of what helps you to be glad is to remember it's not finite or fixed anyways. It's just waiting. And God can make it different and he can make it more. Deuteronomy 26 10 through 11, and now, O Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest that you have given me from the ground. Then place the produce before the Lord and bow down on the ground and worship before him. And afterward, you may go and celebrate. Well, wait a minute. Let me read that again. What was he talking about? Oh, he's talking about giving stuff away. Stuff that you thought was yours. Stuff that I thought was mine. Stuff that I thought I worked hard for. The bonus, the raise, the paycheck, the tax return. Well, let's just keep going. The title of the car, the motorcycle. Okay, maybe not motorcycles. Let's not get crazy. (laughs) Your motorcycle. Not my motorcycle. Giving stuff away. And then what is it? Afterward, you may go and sulk and complain and pout. Stick your lip out and drag your feet. That's not what verse 11 says. Afterward, you may go and celebrate. Celebrate submission and cheerfulness. 
Celebrate because of all the good things the Lord has given to you and your household. Dean Nowotny in his breakout session today said, if God never does one more thing for me, never answers another prayer for me for the rest of my life, I'm still going to worship him because what he's already done is enough. Come on, Dean. Then he goes on to talk about the people that you need to include. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners that are living among you in the celebration. So even in your celebration, what does he say? Say, give some more. Give some more. You've given some away. Now go and celebrate. Have a party. But as you're celebrating, invite some people that you probably wouldn't otherwise invite because the portion that remains is still not finite or fixed. It's just waiting. And if you're obedient, he makes it more and he makes it better. Submission with cheerfulness. They hold each other in a healthy tension, and I need both of them in my life. Am I submitted? Am I laying down my material life? Am I cheerful, truly happy for every occasion to give? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I read this story several years ago. Ann Landers had an interesting letter in her column. Those are something called newspapers. People are like, what's that? Column. Like outside in the front? No, no, no. It's, it, never mind. It was from a girl who was writing about her uncle and aunt. She said, my uncle was the tightest man I've ever known. All his life, every time he got paid, he took $20 out of his paycheck and he put it under his mattress. He got sick and was about to die, and as he was dying, he said to his wife, I want you to promise me one thing. What, honey? I'll, I'll, do, I'll do whatever. You just tell me. What is it? I want you to promise me that when I'm dead, you'll take all of this money under the mattress, and I want you to put it into the casket so that I can take it with me. So he dies, and his wife, she kept her promise. She went in and got all that money, all of it, every last dollar. She went to the bank, and she made a deposit, and she put a check in that casket for every penny. <laughs> I know, you're a little slow. Some of you, some of you are going to get it later. You're going to be at home tonight, and you're going to go, ha, ha. The check. I, right, she got to keep it. That's us. We laugh. It's a joke. It's not true. But it's you and me. We're always looking for the way out. We're always looking for a way to, to do what God's asking of me, but to really not do what God's asking of me. We want to qualify. We want to qualify. We want him to check the box. But God's not about qualifying and box checking. He's about relationship. He's about trust. He's about love and devotion and passion. That's how he treats you. I was, when we were doing communion, I was holding that cup and I was holding that piece of bread and I was struck at how light it is. Just how light it is. And I felt like God spoke to my heart and he said, how heavy do you think the sins of the world were? How heavy? 
I begin to think about everything heavy I've ever picked up in my life. I remember being a teenager and working a summer job and working for a roofer and toting shingles up a ladder and they put one bundle on your shoulder, right? But the guy in front of you, he took two, so you want to try and you, you almost buckle, right? And, and, and now they've got those lifts that go up the ladder and, 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 and when I was growing up, lifts were the kids that worked for the roofer. And you would climb up the ladder, right? And the, the ladder's buckling under the weight because it's so heavy. It's like when you go to move a friend and you go to pick up a piece of furniture, but it's like it's pulling against you. And when that happens to me, I go downstairs and say, Cam, they need you in the upstairs bedroom right there off the hall on the right. Think about things that you've tried to pick up in your life that are too heavy. How heavy do you think the sins of the world were? And Jesus says, no, I'm gonna pick that up because I'm the only one who can that's how he comes after us. That's how he, he loves us. That's how he, he pursues us. And so when God says to me and to you about our material possessions, he starts talking to us about stewardship, starts talking to us about generosity, or we come into a church and then all of a sudden we realize we're at the first week of a multi-week series on giving and you're saying, okay, what are the other churches that we can go check out and come back to this one when they're done with that? He says, what? why? God displays for us the greatest examples of generosity that we could ever hope to find. Ever hope to find. And he says to you and he says to me, will you trust me? Stand with me. Will you trust me? Father, as we step into this moment of worship to, just to, to, to bring this, this, this time of the service to an end, but not to bring to an end the conversation I know that you want to have with each of us. Asking us about our pile that's waiting there, about the treasures in heaven that, that you want us not to be driven by, but to celebrate in your generosity over us. That we would begin a conversation with you over these next several weeks where you begin to challenge us with questions like, are we truly submitted and am I cheerful about it? In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.